Section 5 of History of New Brunswick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. History of New Brunswick by Peter Fisher. Chapter 4. Principal Rivers and Towns. Rivers St. Croix, St. John, Miramichi, Mars Hill, City of St. John, Fredericton, St. Andrews. Having in the preceding chapters given a brief sketch of the settlement and face of the country, and noticed its climate, productions, etc., I shall now proceed to give a short description of the principal rivers, mountains, and towns, beginning with the River St. Croix. This river was made the boundary between the territories of His Britannic Majesty and the United States by the Treaty of 1783, which describes the bounds as follows, viz., that angle which is formed by a line drawn due north from the source of the St. Croix River to the highlands, along the said highlands which divide these rivers that empty themselves into the River St. Lawrence from those which fall into the Atlantic Ocean to the northwesternmost head of Connecticut River, thence down along the middle of that river to the 45th degree of north latitude, from thence by a line due west on said latitude until it strikes the river Iroquois, or Cataraki, etc. The boundaries thus described have caused considerable difficulty between the two governments in discovering which is the height of land mentioned in the treaty, and in regard to the St. Croix, it is supposed that the British commissioners were totally unacquainted with the river in question, and not aware that the lines proposed if run according to the American construction of the treaty, would separate the British provinces of New Brunswick and Canada. It is also probable that it was not precisely known at that time what river was meant by the St. Croix, but that another river, more to the westward, might have been intended. This uncertainty about the rivers at that time might have arisen from the general name of St. Croix, which was given by Europeans to all the rivers falling into the Bay of Fundy, occasioned by the French on their first landing in the country, having erected crosses at different points, and named the places from that circumstance the country of the Holy Cross. However it may have happened, difficulties ensued in ascertaining the precise islands in the Bay of Passamaquoddy belonging to each power, and the highlands meant by the Treaty of 1783. This induced the commissioners of the two powers at the Treaty of Ghent to provide against any misunderstanding in these points for the future by the fourth and fifth articles of that treaty. The fifth article, bearing particularly on this point, states that, "...whereas neither that point of the highlands, lying due north from the source of the river St. Croix, designated in the former treaty of peace between the two powers, as the northwest angle of Nova Scotia, nor the northwesternmost head of Connecticut River, have yet been ascertained, and whereas that part of the boundary line between the dominions of the two powers, which extends from the source of the River St. Croix, directly north to the above-mentioned northwest angle of Nova Scotia, thence along the said highlands which divide those rivers that empty themselves into the St. Lawrence, from those which fall into the Atlantic Ocean to the northwesternmost head of Connecticut River, thence down along the middle of that river to the forty-fifth degree of north latitude, 
thence by a line due west on said latitude, until it strikes the river Iroquois, or Kataraki, has not yet been surveyed, it is agreed that for these several purposes two commissioners shall be appointed, sworn and authorized, to act exactly in the manner directed with respect to those mentioned in the next preceding article, unless otherwise specified in the present article. The said commissioners shall meet at St. Andrews, in the province of New Brunswick, and shall have power to adjourn to such other place or places as they shall think fit. The said commissioners shall have power to ascertain and determine the points above mentioned in conformity with the provisions of the said Treaty of Peace of 1783, and shall cause the boundaries aforesaid from the source of the River St. Croix to the River Iroquois, or Kataraki, to be surveyed and marked according to said provisions. The commissioners shall make a map of the said boundary, and annex to it a declaration under their hands and seals, certifying it to be the true map of the said boundary, and particularizing the latitude and longitude of the northwest angle of Nova Scotia, of the northwesternmost head of Connecticut River, and of other such points of the said boundary as they may deem proper and both parties agree to consider such map and declaration as finally and conclusively fixing the said boundary. And in the event of the said commissioners differing, or both or either of them refusing, declining, or willfully omitting to act, such reports, declarations, or statements shall be made by them, or either of them, and such reference to a friendly sovereign or state shall be made in all respects, as in the latter part of the fourth article is contained. The fourth article here alluded to provides that such sovereign or state shall decide ex parte upon the said report alone, and his Britannic Majesty and the Government of the United States engage to consider the decision of such friendly sovereign or state to be final and conclusive on all matters to them referred. Notwithstanding these precautions on the part of the agents of the two governments, the points alluded to are not yet ascertained or settled. But to resume the description of the river. The St. Croix has two main branches. One inclines to the eastward and communicates with a chain of lakes, some of which are of considerable extent, and lie near a branch of the Penobscot River. The other turns to the westward, from this branch there is a route by a succession of lakes and short portages to the waters that fall into the river St. John. The lands on the banks of this river are of good quality and have been well timbered. Most of the pine has been cut off, but there is still abundance of other timber consisting of the harder woods, spruce, firs, etc. There are mills erected on different parts of this river, which furnish a great quantity of sawed lumber annually. There are several falls on the river which obstruct the navigation. There are, however, several fine settlements along its banks, and the adjoining country is first improving. River St. John This noble river encircles a large portion of New Brunswick, and may be considered as the principal drain of those numerous rivers and streams with which the provinces intersected. Winding in an irregular semicircle, 
it traverses an extent of about 500 miles and falls into the Bay of Fundy nearly in the same parallel of latitude in which it takes its rise. It may not be improper to observe that most of the rivers and streams in this country were originally named by the Indians, who generally, by the names they give, wish to signify something peculiar to the thing named. Consequently, the Indian name of this river, which they call Lushtuk, signifies Long River. It rises from lakes near the head of Connecticut River, between the 45th and 46th degree of north latitude, and stretches to the northward, beyond the 47th degree of north latitude, where it receives the waters of the Madawaska River, which rises near the St. Lawrence. It then inclines to the southward and continues its course uninterrupted, receiving several large streams, till it arrives at the Grand Falls, in latitude 46 degrees 54 minutes. Here its channel is broken by a chain of rocks, which run across the river at this place, over which its waters are precipitated with resistless impetuosity. The river, just above the cataract, makes a short bend of nearly a right angle, forming a small bay a few rods above the precipice, in which there is an eddy, which makes it a safe landing place, although very near the main precipice, where canoes pass with the greatest safety. Immediately below this bay, the river suddenly contracts. A point of rocks project from the western shore and narrow the channel to the width of a few rods. The waters thus pent up sweep over the rugged bottom with great rapidity. Just before they reach the main precipice, they rush down a descent of some feet and rebound in foam from a bed of rocks on the edge of the fall. They are then precipitated down perpendicular cliffs of about forty-five feet in height into an abyss studded with rocks, which nearly choke the passage, leaving only a small opening in the center, through which the water, after whirling for some time in the basin, rushes with tremendous impetuosity, sweeping through a broken rocky channel and a succession of falls for more than half a mile, being closely pent up with rocks which in some places overhang the river, so as to hide most part of it from the view of the observer. Trees and timber, which are carried down the falls, are sometimes whirled round in the basin below the precipice till they are ground to pieces. Sometimes their ends are tapered to a point, and at other times broken or crushed in different places. Below the falls there is another small bay with a good depth of still water, very convenient for collecting timber, etc., after it has escaped through the falls. Here the canoes and boats from Fredericton and different parts of the river land, and if bound for Madawaska they are taken out of the water and carried or drawn, as well as their loads, across the isthmus to the small bay above the falls before mentioned where they are again put in the water and proceed without any farther interruption to the upper settlements and the Canada line. The distance of the portage, including the windings of the road up the hill, is about a hundred rods from water to water. Flat-bottomed boats, from fifteen to twenty tons burden, can come from St. John to this place, which is a distance of about two hundred and twenty-three miles. 
No larger craft than canoes have as yet been used above the falls. This has not arisen from any defect in the river, which above the falls is smooth and of sufficient depth for large vessels, but from the habits of the French settlers, who are partial to canoes, which they set through the rapids with poles at a great rate, and with which they shoot the cataracts and rapids with great address. About a mile below the landing place a succession of rapids commence. The first from their appearance are called the White Rapids. The banks are here very high, and the water being pent up by a narrow channel rushes through the beds of rocks which nearly cross the river, and whirling about in their passage are forced over and around the crags in sheets of foam. A few miles below the falls the river is increased by the junction of the Salmon, Restook, and Tobique rivers, which will be noticed hereafter. It then continues its course without interruption, receiving every few miles some considerable streams, till it reaches the Meductic Falls. Its course is nearly south, and its width about a quarter of a mile occasionally widening and contracting from the Grand Falls to Woodstock, where it widens to near a mile and forms several fine islands. It afterwards diminishes, and strips of intervale narrow its bed. At the Meductic Falls its channel is again nearly choked up with rocks. The navigation, however, is not totally interrupted, for rafts, boats, and small craft in their descent are run through the falls by persons well acquainted with the channel, and in their ascent they are towed through with men or horses, and but few accidents happen, considering the numbers that navigate the river. As the bed of the river is frequently encumbered with rocks and sandbars, the navigation is very difficult at the dry time of the year. The current is likewise swift in many places, and rapids are frequent, till within six miles of Fredericton where they end. About nine miles above Fredericton the river suddenly widens and receives the Madame Keswick. Here is a group of fertile islands, some of which are over a mile in length and nearly as broad. At Fredericton the river is about three-quarters of a mile wide and flows with a beautiful unbroken current to the falls near the city of St. John. A number of fine islands are scattered in different parts of its bed. These islands are composed of rich alluvial soil and produce large crops of grass and grain. Being formed by the washings of the river, they are like garden spots scattered through the country. About nine miles from St. John, the river widens into a bay nearly six miles long and three wide. The river Kennebecasis falls into this bay. At the foot of the bay it suddenly contracts and winds through a crooked passage called the Narrows, and again opens and forms a small bay directly above the falls. Here the current is again broken by a bed of rocks and suddenly contracted by the near approach of the banks which appear to have been formerly united and forced asunder by some convulsion of nature. From the appearance of the rocks on each side, it is probable that the water having been pent up in the small bay just noticed, have, in their efforts to escape, undermined the land and rocks at this place, 
and forced a subterraneous passage, which, by wearing, aided by some violent concussion, has caused the rocks to fall in, when the earth being washed away by the rapidity of the current has left the present passage open, and that the split rock and the bed of the channel is part of the former overhanging rocks. For that the bed of the channel consists of cragged rocks of various shapes and sizes is evident from the whirlpools and eddies at that place. These falls make a tremendous roaring at certain periods. After passing the falls, it forms the harbor of St. John and falls into the Bay of Fundy in latitude 45 degrees 20 minutes north. The spring tides at St. John rise from 24 to 28 feet. The body of the river is 17 and a half feet above low water mark. When the tide has flowed 12 feet, the falls are smooth and passable from 15 to 20 minutes. They are level three and a half hours on the flood and two and a half on the ebb and passable four times in 24 hours. Above the falls, the tides rise four feet. At Majorville, 70 miles up the river, they rise from one to two feet. At Fredericton, from six to ten inches, and are perceivable nine miles above that place, varying according to the phases of the moon. In the spring, the river, swollen with rains and the melting of the snow and ice, rises higher than the tides, which prevents vessels from ascending the falls for some weeks. River Miramichi This is one of the finest rivers for lumber in the province. Its banks, as well as the banks of the numerous streams that fall into it, are covered with pines of the finest growth, which appear to be almost inexhaustible, for although lumbering has been prosecuted on this river to a great extent for a number of years past, there is still abundance found by going a little back from the water. It is, indeed, the main source of the trade of the large county of Northumberland. 141,384 tons of timber were shipped at the port of Miramichi in 1824. Rafts are taken down this river with the greatest safety to the shipping, which load at different places from the mouth of the river up to Fraser's Island. It has two main branches called the Northwest and the Southwest, which run a great way into the country, and with their numerous streams lay open the inmost recesses of this extensive county. Several fine islands lay in the course of this river, covered with elm, ash, butternut, etc., which invariably denote the most luxurious soil. Its waters are well stored with excellent salmon and other fish, which are caught here in great abundance. There are several settlements along this river, none of which merit a particular description, the improvement of the country being neglected for lumbering. The branches of this river approach in several places very near to streams falling into the river St. John, which communicate by short portages. As I have never been able to procure correct information about the sources of this river or its length, I have not the means of satisfying the reader on these points, but must dismiss the subject with these few particulars, being all I could obtain. As was observed in the commencement of this work, 
This country is so intersected with rivers, streams, and lakes that with small portages persons can go to most parts of the province in a canoe. There is a route from the Madawaska River to the Bay of Chaleur, and another from the River St. John by the Grand River, which is fifteen miles above the Great Falls, to the Ristagouche. The River Chictahawk, which falls into the St. John near the Presque Isle, runs near a branch of the Miramichi. A short portage connects the route. The route from the St. Croix to the St. John is first by a chain of lakes with short portages, and next by Eel River, which falls into the St. John about fifty miles above Fredericton. There is another route from the St. John to the Miramichi by the way of the Gemseg, through the Grand Lake and up Salmon River, from whence there is a short portage to the River Etienne, which falls into the Miramichi with several other such communications where the streams of the different large rivers nearly approach each other. The mountains and hills with which the province is diversified have nothing peculiar to merit a particular description, except Mars Hill, which has excited considerable interest, being supposed by the British commissioners, under the Treaty of Ghent, to be the height of land intended by the Treaty of 1783, and that consequently the boundary line between the territories of the United States and the British provinces should take a new direction at that place. This is resisted by the American commissioners, who wish to prolong the line beyond that point. This is an object of great importance to the two powers, for should the line be continued in the old direction, which at this point approaches very near the river St. John, it would cross that river a little above the Grand Falls, and would not only separate New Brunswick and Canada, but likewise give the Americans the upper part of the county of York, which joins Canada, with a large settlement of French at Madawaska. Mars Hill lies about six miles from the River St. John, on the western side, about one hundred miles above Fredericton. It can be seen from the highlands on the opposite side of the river, and appears at that distance majestically towering above the adjacent country. On approaching the mountain, the woods are open, and the ascent commences with an easy swell about half a mile from the main hill, after which the ascent is more abrupt, and in some parts nearly perpendicular. Having reached the crest, the spectator has a clear expanse of horizon, being completely above the surrounding country. From hence he views a boundless forest beneath his feet. The hills appear like waves covered with their green foliage of different shades, from the various sorts of trees with which their brows are covered. In different places the more elevated hills appear rising above the others like towers. Facing the river St. John, he beholds Moose Mountain at about nine miles distant on the opposite side of the river, which is nearly as high as Mars Hill and perpendicular on the north side. To his left are a range of lofty hills on the Restook. To his right he has a distant view of Holton Plantation, and in his rear, as far as his eye can reach, are the lofty Catardan Mountains on the Penobscot River. 
the intermediate space exhibiting an undulating forest of boundless variety of hills and valleys, lakes, etc., the whole forming a grand and interesting spectacle. The mountain is about three miles in length, very narrow, and divided by a hollow near the center. A small spot has been cut down on each end of the hill, and a temporary observatory erected by the commissioners under the Treaty of Ghent. The Americans have laid out a settlement in this part of the country, which takes in Mars Hill. The base of the mountain is washed by the Presque Isle River and other streams which fall into the River St. John. The principal towns in New Brunswick are St. John, Fredericton, and St. Andrews, which, on account of their importance and situation, will be treated of separately, leaving the other places to be noticed as they occur in the description of the several counties, I shall proceed to give a short description of the situation, trade, public buildings, and institutions of the places just mentioned, commencing with the city of St. John. The city of St. John is situated in the county of that name, on a rocky peninsula at the estuary of the river St. John, in latitude 45 degrees, 20 minutes north, longitude 66 degrees, 3 minutes west. The city comprehends both sides of the river. The district on the eastern side of the harbor, formerly called the township of Parr, and Carleton on the western side. It is divided into six wards, two of which are in Carleton and four in St. John, properly so called. It contains, according to the late census, 8,488 inhabitants of all descriptions. Like most English towns, the streets in St. John intersect each other at right angles. They are in some parts well built up, the houses being of different heights and joining each other for some distance, forming several fine ranges of buildings. The first houses in this place were constructed of wood, many of them were low and ill-shaped. These, when removed by fires or other causes, are generally replaced with handsome brick buildings, which is making a great improvement in the appearance of the city. The streets, likewise, which were formerly nearly impassable from rocks, hills, and chasms, are rapidly improving. Hollows have been filled up and rocks cut away, so that although the hills in some parts are still steep, yet carriages drive through most part of the city with the greatest safety. A projecting point near the entrance of the harbor has caused the different parts of the city to be distinguished by the name of the upper and lower coves, the latter of which has been much neglected till lately government having built a handsome range of barracks on the point fronting the Bay of Fundy, and removed the troops, etc., from Fort Howe to that station, it is beginning to improve. Most all the trade of the city is carried on in the upper part of the town, where there are a number of warehouses, stores, wharves, and other conveniences for lading and unlading ships. The tides rise to such a height that large ships can lay at the wharves and discharge with the greatest safety. The harbor is convenient and safe and capable of containing a great number of vessels of the largest description. 
Partridge Island lies at the entrance, on which there is a lighthouse, and signal station, where signals are carefully attended to and made on the first approach of vessels. These signals are repeated at Fort Howe. Within the island there is a bar which extends from the western side and passes the lower point of the peninsula on which the city stands. It has a beacon on the outer end and a buoy to direct vessels coming or going. The bar is dry at ebb tides, but within the harbor there is sufficient water for the largest ships. The tide ebbs and flows from sixteen to twenty-four feet perpendicular in this harbor. A pier has been constructed at the entrance of the harbor for the protection of the shipping. St. John carries on a brisk trade with Europe, the West Indies, and the United States in lumber of different descriptions, fish, gypsum, grindstones, etc., but the staple article is squared timber, 114,116 tons of which were shipped from this port in 1824. Shipbuilding has also been lately revived here and prosecuted to a considerable extent. Sixty vessels were registered at this port in 1824, whose tonnage amounted to 16,489 tons, besides three ships and five brigs not in the above estimate. Part of these were built in St. John and the remainder up the rivers and along the coasts for merchants in the city. The city of St. John contains two churches on the eastern side of the river, one of which is neatly furnished and has an elegant organ. A handsome kirk belonging to the members of the Church of Scotland, a Catholic chapel, two Methodist chapels, one belonging to the Wesleyan Methodists, and the other to a number of that persuasion who seceded with Mr. Priestley, and a neat Baptist meeting-house. The other public buildings are a poorhouse, a jail, a marine hospital, with two handsome ranges of barracks, lately erected at the lower cove, with government stores, houses, etc. A square near York Point, reserved for a market, etc., has an old building in the center, the upper part of which has served for many years as a courthouse, and the under part as a flesh market a fish and vegetable market having been lately built contiguous to it at the edge of high-water mark, and a handsome flesh market in the lower cove, which are generally well supplied. King Square is situated on the height of land in King Street, and is reserved for public uses. It is a very pleasant situation commanding a fine view of the city and harbor. It is in contemplation to erect a courthouse on the east side of this square on a liberal scale. Queen Square is situated in Duke's Ward and is also reserved for public uses. The public seminaries in St. John are a grammar school, the Central Madras School, and a number of Sunday schools. There are two public libraries in the city, a vaccine establishment, three printing offices, with the following religious, humane, and useful societies. 1. A branch of the Society for Promoting Christian Knowledge. 2. The New Brunswick Auxiliary Bible Society. 3. 
St. John Sunday School Union Society. 4. St. John Religious Tract Society. 5. St. George's Society. 6. St. Patrick's Society. 7. St. Andrew's Societies. The above three instituted for the purpose of aiding their respective countrymen in distress. 8. New Brunswick Society for the Improvement of the Breed of Horses and Other Cattle. 9. Female Benevolent Society for the Relief of Indigent Females and a Branch of the Wesleyan Missionary Society. A provincial bank is established here with a capital of 30,000 pounds and increased by an act of the legislature in 1825 to 50,000 pounds. This bank has been found of considerable advantage in facilitating the trade of the city by discounting bills, etc., but it may more properly be called the St. John than the province bank, as it only transacts business within the city. A marine insurance company and a water company have lately been incorporated, the latter is not yet in active operation. Here is a chamber of commerce for the regulation of the trade of the city, and a savings bank for depositing the small savings of the laboring classes. Carleton, on the opposite side of the river, is comprehended in the limits of the city. It is situated on the point, fronting Navy Island, and comprises the ruins of old Fort Frederick. It contains a neat church and meeting house, with several fine buildings. It has a good fishery and is fast improving. St. John, being an incorporated city, is governed by a mayor, recorder, six aldermen, with an equal number of assistants, under the style of the mayor, aldermen, and commonalty of the city of St. John. The other officers are a sheriff and coroner, who likewise act for the county of St. John, a common clerk, a chamberlain, a high constable, six inferior ones, and two marshals. The mayor, recorder, common clerk, sheriff, and coroner are appointed by the governor, and hold their offices during his pleasure from year to year. The aldermen, assistants, and inferior constables are chosen annually by the freemen of the city. The chamberlain is appointed by the mayor, recorder, aldermen, and assistants in common council. The mayor appoints the high constable, marshals, criers, porters, bell-ringers, etc. The mayor, or recorder, with three aldermen and three assistants, constitute a common council with powers to make laws, ordinances, etc., which are to remain in force for one year only, unless confirmed by the governor and council. They also constitute a court of record or inferior court of common pleas for the city and county of St. John. The terms of this court are quarterly, and it takes cognizance of all causes from five pounds value to fifty pounds, in which titles of land shall not come in question, and by an act of the provincial legislature, its jurisdiction is enlarged to all transitory actions of any value. It may be observed that the mayor, by virtue of his office, possesses extensive powers, such as making free citizens, regulating the markets, etc., 
and that the aldermen are justices of the peace for the county as well as for the city of St. John. The corporation can hold real property to the amount of £2,000 per annum, within or without the city. They have at present an annual revenue of about £2,000 at their sole disposal for the improvement of the city. It must, however, be observed that no great attention has yet been paid to ornamenting the city. This arises in some measure from the peculiar caste of its inhabitants. The men of independent property, and those holding high offices in the different departments, being too few to do much, although some of them have fine seats, and many of the merchants engaged in the shipping business, being transient persons who from time to time come to the province, and whose main object is to make as much as they can, in as short a time as possible, with the intention of soon returning to enjoy their gains in their native country. These persons do not feel that interest in the improvement of the place that those do whose interests are identified with the country. Having, therefore, no local attachment to the soil, it is no wonder that they should extend their views no farther than present convenience. Such persons, then, who are to be found in all the parts of the province add nothing to the wealth of the country, but rather act as drains to it. A few seats have, however, lately been begun on the marsh near the city, which will soon make an alteration in the appearance of the suburbs. Some small improvement is much wanted at the quays for the convenience of the public and protection of goods from the mud. This could be easily effected by laying sleepers and covering them with strong plank and running a railing along the margin. This would obviate the inconvenience so much felt at present by persons transacting business on the wharves who have to walk, or rather wade, day after day through the mud. It would also facilitate the transfer of goods by keeping them in better order and prevent many accidents which are yearly occurring by sailors and others falling off. End of section 5 Recording by Roger Moline